0: Wow. I walked up here and everyone got quiet. What authority. <laughs> Good morning. How are you doing today? All right. Well, this my name is uh, Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff over uh, discipleship and family ministries. I also serve on the teaching team along with Pastor Dale. It's a pleasure for me to be able to uh, be here again and, and teach with you this morning. Uh, this last week, I was I actually spent uh, four days this week in Washington, D.C. with my oldest son, just for a little father-son trip. Then I got back on Thursday, and on Friday and Saturday, we packed up our house and moved down here to Encinitas. So the commute was much better this morning. But I do want to thank all of you who uh, helped us unload yesterday. It went by amazingly quickly. I uh, wish you were on the other end when we loaded it up, but... Uh, but so that was kind of my week. And so in the, the past, let's say, 30 days, month or so, I have uh, begun a new job here at Seacoast, ended an old one. We uh, sold our house and went through all the joys of escrow. We uh, found a place to live in packed up our home that we lived in for 12 years and had to say goodbye to neighbors and kind of close that chapter in our life And my wife informed me this is the house where all three of our babies were born So, um, I just said it's a house, but it's more and so uh, we had to close out that relationship and then I uh, had to say goodbye to the people and the relationships in the school that we invested the last seven years in and in the course of all that, we had a very reliable car that decided to break down two times, and then we moved down yesterday, and, and Dale thought it would be hilarious. Hey, Ryan, this weekend I want you to teach on the subject of worry. <laughs> so we actually planned all that before any of that happened, but anyway, God thinks he's funny, so <laughs> that is the subject. And one of the things that's valuable for us that we hold... Uh, very important as teachers here at Seacoast is that we don't just teach, but that we have to live out the things that we teach. And so for me, it's very appropriate to talk about anxiety and as it relates to not just our wealth and our possessions, but life circumstances and all of those things. And for us as a teacher, I also want to be a learner. So these are things that we work on. We try to apply in our own lives and then we come on Sunday mornings and we get to share all of our glorious failures with you. And that's kind of how it works. So this morning we are talking about the subject of worry. And worry is one of those things that it's kind of that idea of what keeps you up at night. Now, I'm one of those people, when I go to bed at night, I I can drink a cup of coffee, lay down, and I'm asleep. I don't have to, I don't think, my mind doesn't keep going. But I know some of you, you lay down and your mind is going, right? Everything you have to do tomorrow, everything that you didn't do today, all these things are going through your mind. The things that keep you up. Kind of that anxiety or that worry. I have to confess, though, this last month, with all these things going on, I didn't sleep as well as I used to. Because I go to bed and think, oh, you know, we sold the house. Did we ask for enough money? Did we ask for too much? Is it going to go through escrow? Is this going to work out? What's going to happen with the car? How is it going to happen? Where are we going to live? Are we going to like our new job? All these different things that go through your mind when you go to bed. And that's just anxiety. It's worry. And really, worry is one of those things that comes up when, and often, worry is when we think about the things that we cannot control. There's an ancient proverb that actually talks about worry, and it says, worry is, there's two days in every week in which you don't have to worry. So every other day is fine, but two days that happen every week, you shouldn't have any worry. The first of those is yesterday. Because there's nothing you can do about what happened yesterday. There's no sense worrying about the mistakes you made and and the events that happened because all of your anxiety and worrying about it is not going to change. That it already occurred. The other day every week in which you don't have to worry is tomorrow. Because tomorrow is out of your control. If you stay up thinking all night about what might happen tomorrow, all the troubles that might occur, it's not going to change anything. Jesus said you're not going to add an hour to your life by worrying. So worry is one of those things that goes on of the might be, the possibilities, the will, what might happen. Winston Churchill actually was talking about uh, an interaction he had with someone who was on his deathbed. And this person was telling him, he said, you know, I've lived a long life filled with many worries about my troubles. And the guy went on to say, the thing is, most of those troubles never actually happen." See, some of us in our lives worry about the troubles and worry about things coming or things that might not ever actually happen. So this morning, I want to think about this. When we think about this topic of worry, we are going to use the example of some of our finances. Why we're using this example is because Jesus did. And it's actually beyond Jesus. It's an ancient... It happened in the Jewish culture that they used finances or wealth and possessions as a very tangible obvious example in our own lives in fact one of Jesus' parables was a common parable of the time the parable of the seeds on the ground and he actually says the worry about your finances and possessions are the thing that prevents you from maturing as a follower of god this is a common parable in the time of jesus and so when he teaches about this i want us to have this mentality though that this morning when we talk about finances and anxiety this is not a financial issue we're talking about. This is a faith issue. So this morning, it's actually, I don't want you to say, oh, I'm new to c it's my first time, and they're talking about money. Great. That's great. I knew it was going to happen. Or maybe you've been here the last couple of weeks, and you think, oh, they're still talking about money. I want you to know we're not. We're talking about faith. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about being transformed from the inside, becoming people who are free from these things. Because we can trust. And really today, the big idea is that we need to think about trust is really the issue. Who do you trust? Do you trust yourself or do you trust God? See, the problem, I have a slide for this one. The pro, we've worked, so your, your now, notes, here's my disclaimer. You see your notes? It's a blank page, right? I was in D.C., I moved. It's been busy, okay? <laughs> so you get to write your own notes. <laughs> But I do have a few slides. So the problem, though, for today to think about is this: when we trust ourselves and our own wisdom more than God, our only solution is to worry about the outcome. So today is really about when we talk about worry, we're talking about trust and security. You trust yourself, you need to control things, or do you trust God? All right, ready to go? All right, good. I'm going to. All right, join me in pray as I pray for the rest of the morning. God, I pray now that you would just uh, speak to our hearts. God, uh, anxiety and worry is something that I think, if we're all honest, we all deal with from time to time. Some of us deal with it every single day. And, Lord, we want to be people. We want to be a community that declares your goodness, that declares that you are king, and so in our lives we know how to trust. That we're free from worry. We're free from trying to grab control. God, we want you to be in control. So I pray now this morning as I teach, God, that I would learn. And that it would be about you and not about me. That this would be principles to help us love you more. So we give you this time. In your name, amen. All right, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're in verse 25. And this is just the continuation of the message series that we've been going through. That we call Inside Out. Yes, if you don't have your Bibles, open up your smartphones or your iPad. That's okay. A little less spiritual, but it works. So, as we start off here, join me as we, we read here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Okay, stop there. We're going to get far this morning, I can see. Do not be worried about your life. This is a, a Greek word here. The word for worry is used throughout the New Testament. It's worry, it's anxiety, it can be your cares or your worries. The word here is mer, merimna'o. Say that with me merimna'o. Sound Greek. It's amazing. All right. So this is a word that is, it relates to being overly concerned about something. It's that overly concerned. It's not just that one thought that, oh, wow, I have bills I have to pay tomorrow. It's not that. But it's that overly concerned to let it consume you, to let it start to work through your mind and consume you. So Jesus says, do not be, he says, therefore do not be worried. Now, okay, for this reason or therefore, he says that for what reason is he talking about? Recall last week or the last two weeks, we've been talking about how God wants us to approach our possessions, our wealth, our finances. And the question that Pastor Dale left us with last week is who do you serve? Because Jesus says you can't serve both your wealth and serve God. Now remember, he didn't say you can't serve God and have wealth. He says you just can't serve both. You have to choose who in your life or the way you live your life, the decisions you make, who do you serve? If you're making decisions to serve God... And you have wealth, that's okay, but your decisions are first and foremost serving God. And Jesus says you have to choose one or the other. Are you going to serve yourself and building up your wealth all the time and it's always about you and what you can have and you can control? If you do that, then you're truly not really probably serving God. So Jesus presented us last week with that question, who do you serve? So this week when he says, for that reason, I tell you not to worry, he's assuming what your answer is. He's assuming you said, okay, I choose to serve God. If he assumed you said you choose to serve your wealth, he'd say, okay, you better worry. (laughs) Because if you're going to serve your wealth, when are you going to have enough? Never. (laughs) You're going to choose to serve yourself and your possessions, when are you going to be satisfied? Never. And because that's a fleeting thing, are you going to be worried? Yes, every single day. When you serve your stuff, you're always going to be worried about it. Will it be there tomorrow? But he says, if you serve God, he says, then don't mer nao You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry, and the opposite of that then would be so you can trust God. So I'm going to give you a few reasons here. Uh, the first one up there, we can reasons why we can trust God through this passage. Keep reading with me. Jesus says this. Now it goes on here. Um, well, let's read verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As what you'll eat or drink, nor of your body, as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Jesus goes on to say this. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? I think most of us would say we Take time away from our lives. Any of you, uh, a parent here, and you look at your kids and ever say something like, I swear you're going to send me to my grave early. Did you hear that? My parents said that I think every day. And they're still alive, so that's good. Uh, Yeah, worry doesn't extend our lives, right? But Jesus says this. There's reasons to trust. One of the things is we can trust in God's provision. That's one of the reasons we can trust. And he uses an example of these birds in the air. He says that birds, they don't go out and collect and store up all their food because they trust that the provision will be there. Now, do birds work? Yes, they do. By the way, they do. Some of you aren't that great at biology. But yes, birds do work. They build nests. They go, they collect their food. They, uh, When they, ha- they take care of their babies, they go and they find worms for them and regurgitate them into their mouths. They do all those things that a loving parent would do. And so, thank you. <laughs> The youth staff's like, how oh, that's funny. Okay, but yes, birds, they work. So God's not saying, oh, don't work. Just sit around and I'll provide. No, no, it's not work that's being forbidden here. It's worry. And why? Because birds trust that if God is faithful to provide for me today, why would he not be faithful to provide for me tomorrow? See, when we worry, we often worry about what might happen tomorrow, right? We say, well, I know I have enough today, but if I, I don't know if I should be generous. I don't know if I should take care of this homeless person because I might not have what I need tomorrow. And our questions are often backwards. When Jesus is looking at us saying, do you have what you need today? Yes. Have I, have, did you have the other day? Yes. Then why do you think I won't provide again tomorrow? See, here you can trust that God knows your needs and is your provider. You can trust that God isn't all of a sudden going to forget and go, whoa, whoa, I forgot about you. I took care of you up to Tuesday, but I forgot about Wednesday. we had got to trust that God knows your needs and provides. Now, there's a difference between needs and wants. Some of us need to learn that, don't we? Some of us need to wrestle with that issue. And we say, God, I trust that you provide for my needs, but, you know, I need a little bit bigger house. And you haven't come through with that yet, God. And he's going, well, you don't. <laughs> it's funny, you know, we were living in Mission Michigan. We have three kids. We had a, a home that was 1,100 square feet. And we'd have friends come over and they would see this, go like, oh, we just need more space. I'm like, you don't. You don't. It would be nice. There's times I wouldn't mind 5,000 square feet so I can lock my kids on, you know, one half. But that's not a need. God always gave us what we needed. So some of you may be wrestling and saying, I don't know if God's providing. And some might need to make some decisions about your life. You might need to say, maybe I don't need a new car. Maybe I don't need all the stuff that makes me feel better. Maybe God's providing in simpler ways than I had originally thought or what I hoped. But you can trust that God knows your needs. You can trust that he cares more about you than the birds in the air. It's a promise. Let's go on. What's another reason to trust? Number two here. Uh, Let's look at verse 29. 28, I'm sorry. And why are you worried about your clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil nor they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. So another reason we can trust is trusting God's perfect plan. Now you say, what does that have to do with the flowers of the field? Consider what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look at the flowers of the field. They stand out there in all their glory as being created as God created them. They're not striving after more stuff. Now you might hear that and say, well, that's because they're flowers. And Jesus knew that. He was using this example. It's actually almost, uh, he's being funny. Jesus was funny from time to time. He's making an exaggeration. He's saying, look at the flowers. They just stand out there in all of the, all their glory of how God created them, and they're not worried about having more. And he compares it to Solomon. Now, Solomon, King Solomon in Hebrew history was known as the guy who had everything. He had the palaces. He had friends who were dignitaries in other countries. Solomon uh, built this temple to God and lined it with gold. Solomon had these beautiful, and, and Jesus compared it to these, these glowing, uh, these flowing robes, these purple royal robes that represented his power. He had 600 chariots. So it represented how much strength he had military. He had a 1,000 wives, which represents that he was a little crazy. And he had all of these things, all of the things that you could have in the world That makes you feel like, yeah, I got got it all. Look what I have. It's things that make you feel better about yourself. Things that you can say, look at how great I am. But it's his perfect plan. It was Solomon's perfect plan. It's what he thought he needed. It wasn't trusting that God had a better plan. Which is be who you are. Who I created you to be. Where I created you. All the stuff that we strive after... It doesn't, manage, it doesn't add up. It adds worry to our lives. Now, is it okay to have stuff? It is okay to have stuff. It's okay, but not when it consumes you again. And how many things do we do in our lives? How much decisions do we make about what we buy or what we have is really about trying to feel a little bit better? We want to have the perfect clothes because someone else looks good. We want to have the right hairdo. And we want to, I I did just come from Orange County, by the way. So some of these examples are more for there. But we do, we want to have these nice big houses. We want to have the new cars. Look at our culture. Look at all the things we do to make our bodies feel or look better. Rather than eat right and exercise, right? Right? We have all these surgeries to make certain body parts smaller or maybe make certain body parts bigger or what all these things that we do. I heard the other day, I was listening on the radio, and it said it has this new uh, fat freezing thing. It said, You can go to work and at your lunch break, go in and we will freeze and you'll get rid of your love handles at lunch. It's, and then you go back to work that day. Now, how many of you heard that and you're like, How much does that cost? I did. (laughs) I was like, "Ooh, that sounds great. It's way better than P90X. So yeah, I heard that. I'm like, oh, I had that moment of, that would be so great. Yeah, we do that. We have all this stuff in our culture that makes us, yeah, I would feel just a little better about myself if I had that, if I did this. We're trusting in the things of this earth. We're trusting that if we have... The, the nice Escalade with tinted windows in the twenties on the ground. That—that's gonna. Those of you, some of you have no idea what I just said, and that's fine. Those of you who do know, you know. So, we think of our stuff. We think of what makes us look and feel good. God saying, "No, even Solomon, who had everything, doesn't compare to the simplicity of a flower, in all the glory of being a child of God. Trusting that God placed you." In a place for a reason. A perfect plan. You could trust that God knows what he's doing. I would think of it that way. Of trust in God's creation. Trust that he's a creator. We're going to show some practical ways. How we can learn to do this in a moment by the way. Number three uh, of reasons to trust. As Jesus goes on. He says this in verse 31. Do you not. Worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Well, the third one is this trust in God's unending love. Now, you're going to see that and say, What is that? Your things aren't, you really were busy this week. None of this lines up. Jesus says, Okay, so don't worry about. He gave it examples of what you need your food your clothing all of this the gentiles do that Now why would jesus bring up the gentiles now when he says gentiles that's always A way of saying those who are not followers of god And in the greco-roman culture of Jesus' time as well as all of the ancient near east people believed in gods But not the one god created the universe And their relationship with that God or with those gods was one that was a bartering system that they had to earn the trust or they had to earn the love of God. They said, I need your provision. So the God of the harvest, they would have to sacrifice and give to the God of harvest. They would make deals with God because their gods did not have this unending love for them. Their love could be taken away to say, like, you know what? You haven't been good enough. You haven't been good enough, so I'm not going to give you that stuff that you need to survive. So Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry about these things. The Gentiles do, but that's because their relationship with their gods is a bartering system. It's a relationship that is based on what they can earn. Now, do we ever barter with God? And some of you are like, don't look at me. You ever make a prayer that says something like, God, if you would just do this. I will, da, da, da. Anyone ever make that prayer? Okay, three of us, awesome. The rest of you, anyone ever lie in a sermon, during a sermon? Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, we make those all the time. Maybe it's not anything major, but maybe it's, God, you know, if I could just get this bonus, if I could just get that bonus, then you know what, I'll read my Bible tomorrow. God, you know what? If I could just win this lottery, I don't even need the big one, God. Just like 10 million would be fine. Just that, God. If you could just do that, I'll give you 7, 6% of what I earn. Yeah, we make these deals all the time. God, if you could... Maybe it's not just finances, by the way. God, if you could just make my kids perfect, I promise I'll always show up at church. Promise that I'll pray every day. If you just make my kids do this. Yeah, we we barter with God because we think that he's going to remove his love if we don't perform. And Jesus is saying, you know, that's the ways of the world. And when we live that way, we worry. We worry because we think that God is going to change the way he is based on the way we are. We're going to think he might not provide for us tomorrow because we haven't been godly enough today. You might think, oh, you know what? I actually haven't taken the time to pray in a couple weeks and I think God's probably getting fed up with me. He might be, but his love is unending. You can trust in that. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. I'm sure many of you spent the morning reading it in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19, I love this. Jeremiah is writing, he says this, The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is like gall. <laughs> That's vivid. He says, My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. In other words, he's saying, When I think of my circumstances that are not the way I want them to be, it's, my soul is weighed down. But then this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope. See, we can get weighed down on the circumstances. We can get weighed down on what's happening in our lives. And when we think that we are in this bartering relationship with God, the the worry, you can get weighed down by that. The thoughts can just be gall. It can just keep you up and say, oh, I don't know if I'm measuring up. He says, then I remember, God's steadfast love never ceases. Some of you here this morning need to be reminded of that truth. You need to be reminded that God wants to provide for you. He wants to care for your needs. He wants to be there for you. He loves you even when you don't love him. And it's reasons that we can learn to trust or we should trust. We can trust. This is a character of our God. This is his nature. So, alright, that's easy, right? So we're all good. We all trust. No more worry. I can. If, I can close in prayer now. It's good. We can be out early. It's a nice day. <laughs> all right. Right. Learning to trust takes time. It's not so easy. <laughs> Some of you are checking your watches like, sweet, we're out early. <laughs> no. Yeah, we, we know we can trust, but is it that easy to flip the switch? Tonight we're all just going to lay down and sleep perfect eight hours. Wake up and we're like, ah, oh, no more worry. No, it takes time. So how do we learn to trust? Jesus keeps giving us some more solutions here. So learning to trust. Let's continue on in this passage. We're now in chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says this. In contrast to everything that you hear about the Gentiles, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. So the first step in learning to trust is to seek first his kingdom. I think of it this way. Rearrange your priorities. Rearrange your priorities in your life. Jesus says, you want to know how this really starts to play out? Some of you need to change your priorities and seek first the kingdom of God. Now, that's a great churchy kind of phrase, isn't it? How does that really work? What does that mean to seek first the kingdom? There's a lot wrapped into this one statement. But first of all, let's think of throughout the gospels when they talk about the kingdom or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's one and the same. And it's not just a picture of eternity, and when you die, you seek that heaven. That's a good thing, and that is part of what he's talking about. But he's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, which is now as well. When Jesus says a kingdom is at hand, he means it is now, and it is yet to come. Another way to think of this, and actually the, the Greek actually has a way of, it, it means more than just seek the kingdom of God, it's seek the kingship of God. Seek the kingship of Jesus in your life. If we begin there with our priorities, instead of beginning with our kingship, look how life changes. Now, how many decisions do we make throughout the week that are all about us? God, you know what? I would be more generous except for I need to make sure I have a little bit more saved up. I just need to make sure I have enough for tomorrow. Then I'm going to be generous or I'm going to make sure that, you know, I, I live in my kids are perfect in, in, a, in a nice neighborhood, a perfect home. And then after that, I'll seek your kingship. And Jesus says, no, you know what? When you do that, you're filled with worry. You're not learning to trust. He says, seek first the kingship of God. The decisions you make in your life, make them based on declaring that Jesus is king. You know why we take offering as a community here? It's not because God is broke. And he's going, oh, you know what? I used to have all this stuff, but I don't. No, of course we have bills. We, we have facilities. We have people who work here. We take an offering that covers those needs. But the truth is when we take our offering, it's our way of declaring that Jesus is king and not our stuff. When we give and, and we take care of the poor and the oppressed, we're declaring that God is king of all this and we are not. And we release it. And we say that, God, you know, we're more concerned about you and your name being made known than our name being made greater. And so we give because we declare that Jesus is king. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. And guess what? You can give all your money, and that's not going to earn your way into heaven. God's not going to go like, I'm really impressed. Hey, did you see that check that Dale wrote this week? That was amazing. Hey, uh, come on in here, Peter. Look at this. Dale's amazing. No, you're not going to earn one thing with God by giving a big check. But in your life, you're declaring, you know what? Jesus is king. And God's going to go, Dale declares that I'm king over this earth. That's my child. You know how else you declare he's king? The way we forgive. It's not just with your stuff. It's the way you interact with people. When you forgive someone who doesn't deserve it, you're declaring Jesus is king and his ways are what we trust and believe in. The ways of the world don't work that way. When you give love to someone who doesn't deserve the love, guess what you're declaring? Jesus is king, therefore I can love you even though you're unlovable. Don't say that to someone. (laughs) Just offer that love. You're declaring that Jesus is king. The decisions you make when our life switches from saying, I make decisions based on declaring that I am king. You know, I'm not going to forgive you because you don't deserve, you hurt me. I'll wait till you come back to me and change your ways. That's declaring I'm king. Saying like, you know what? My neighbors are really annoying, so I'm not going to be a good neighbor back to them because I'm king of my world. But do we change our priorities and say, you know what? I'm going to give to you. I'm just going to be the best neighbor. I'm going to be filled with hospitality. I'm going to be filled with grace. You know why? Because Jesus is king and none of this matters except for that Jesus is made known. God may be calling your family to be missionaries in Syria. And some of us to say like, yeah, it's great, but it's dangerous for my kids. I don't want to go there because, you know, that's great, God. I would love, I would do it. But I don't want my kids to be in danger. Well, who are you declaring king? I'm not saying, by the way, that you're all called to be missionaries in Syria. In fact, my guess is most of you are not. <laughs> but some of the decisions we make are, no, that's too dangerous. Okay, so you're king or is God? Do you believe when God says, I, I'm in control? Because if you believe God's in control, then guess what? He's in control. And if God's in control of all things, that means nothing is out of his control. Does that mean if you go somewhere, you're going to be perfectly safe? No. It just means God's in control of it. Does it mean that you will, you're will, you guaranteed to not lose your life? No. It doesn't mean that. It means it's not in your control. And it's not, by the way. Even when you think it is, you are. See, we declare God's kingship even when we make a decision like that. The last church I was a part of, we had this young couple. They're uh, in young 20s. They got married, and they went to be full-time missionaries in India. I'm like, oh, cool. How long are you going to do that? They went to the Muslim part of India, and and they said, no, for forever. That's where God's calling us. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, for me, I think, I, I can't do that. And then someone asked them, like, well, what happens when you have kids? They're like, well, we'll have kids in India. I said, well, will you fly home so they're born in America? And they said, why? If the people in India have babies in India, why can't we? And it comes out of my mouth to say, like, well, but it's not safe. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, well, I'm not in control anyway. God is. And I declare the kingship of Jesus and they're declaring the kingship of Jesus in their lives by going there and risking their very lives because they said, we're not king Jesus is. We seek his kingdom first, not ours. What a challenge. Huh? So some of us need to change our priorities. Some of us need to declare God's kingdom in our lives. And then all these things will be added. You know, sometimes this is kind of like saying uh, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But it's more like, Where your treasure is your heart follows when we seek the kingdom of god All these things are added all of a sudden the things that we thought we needed start to line up in the right priorities, don't they And we realize god. oh, you are providing you have added all things to me And maybe he's already been adding them to you, but you have been looking at the wrong priorities You're looking at what you think you need A couple more quick ones Uh learning to trust here's the next thing, Uh, Using the same word, emnao. it's give up control. I'm not going to dwell on this one. This one will be for your own personal study, but Philippians 4.6 says, cast all your, an- no, it doesn't say that. It says, <laughs> don't be anxious for anything. And that word anxious is that emnao. It's do not be worried about these things, but in everything with prayer and petition, presenting your quests to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Not all understanding, by the way. Just the peace that passes understanding. Sometimes you're not going to understand it. But God wants us to give up control. You know how freeing it is when you just say, God, I recognize you're in control. Nothing, no amount of time that I can spend staying up tonight worrying is going to change whether you're in control. But you know how healthy it is sometimes to just start praying when your mind is spinning with, how is it going to work out? Is this going to happen? Okay, God, you know what? I can't release. Just would you please take this from me? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I think about how great you are. And start praising, start praying. What happens to that anxiety? You start to learn that God says, thank you. I'll take that. And the last one is this. I love this one. Learning to trust. Pass the blame. (laughs) Pass the blame. You don't need it. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says this cast all of your cares that word cares cast all of your worries on the Lord because he cares And that's not because he worries. It's because he cares <laughs> Cast all of those things that you worry onto God because he cares now. This is a, a An idiom from the greek language To say cast this onto someone actually was saying, make it as if the other person is responsible. Isn't that great? Cast your cares is like saying, I'm going to make it as if I'm not responsible for this anymore. Some of our kids do that with their chores all the time. They cast their chores back onto us. But, okay, funny to me. All right, so, but yes, cast your cares. Make it as if God is responsible for those things. Say, God, you know what? I'm doing what I think is right. I'm following you the way I think I need to. I feel like maybe, and maybe it has to do with your wealth. And you're fine. Say, God, I feel like I should give you this. I feel like I should invest in this part of your kingdom. And you know what, God? Do with it what you need to because it's out of my control. I, I pass the buck to you. Even in small things. I've mentioned before, but even when we prepare, when I prepare a message. I have this thing where I say pray like you don't prepare and prepare like you didn't pray. But you do that, but then when I present, I have to just say, God, you know what? If this makes any sense and changes hearts, that's your fault, not mine. (laughs) I'm passing the blame to you. Because I used to sit up and worry, and I would go home and I'd think, Oh, I said this wrong, or I didn't do that. I missed this line. That was a great line. It would probably make me famous. That, you know, all of these little things. And I'd worry and think about them. And I had to just get to the point in my life where I said, God, you know what? You said you're responsible, so I will be faithful, but then it's your fault what happens from here. I'm passing the blame to you. It's yours. Take it. Learning to trust, we need to learn to pass the blame onto God. Make him responsible. And then I want you to start, we need to be people to start looking at what what God has already done, not what we think he should do. That makes sense. If we start saying, God, you know, every time I pass the blame to you, I feel free. Every time I look back, I notice that you've been providing. Every time I think through all of your goodness, I see that you have been there, and all of a sudden we can learn to trust. When we give up trust, is when we say, God, will you take care of this? God, are you going to if if I give to the church, are you going to make sure I can pay my bills? Are you going to do this? Are, and he's going, have I ever let you down? So our question needs to start being, what have you done? Not what will you do for me? Learn to trust. You guys feel like you've been getting punched in the face all morning? This is great, huh? Let's talk about giving up trust. <laughs> this is healthy for us. By the way, I, I fail at this all the time. I feel like I've always been pretty good with being generous. I've always been pretty good with not wanting too much stuff. But, oh, I fall into these traps. And I think, God, I need to learn that you have not let me down yet. That you'll show up. Even coming down here. We sold our house the first day and we're like, oh, cool, let's go to Encinitas to get something. Couldn't find anything. Like okay, a couple of days, no big deal. Last month, there's all the stuff that was in our price range, and and on the beach. And, no, okay. Uh, all these things that we we go, oh God, you'll you'll show up, and then the next week went by. No, not that, not that, not that. And then I said, okay, we need a rent, and so I try to get these rentals, and everything was filling up, and I started going like, oh God, you know, I I don't mind camping, but I don't want to live in a tent. And God's up there going like, you are so, you are such an idiot. Are you serious? And he really, honestly, we gave up control and we found the, the least expensive thing we could find in Encinitas that had everything we needed, in fact, more than we need. We're so blessed in where we found. And God's going, seriously, I knew that all along. <laughs> if you would just stop and look back and see. So I struggle with this. This is for me. So I'll join you in this journey of learning to trust. Deal? Okay. Ten of us. Awesome. All right. (laughs) Let's pray as the band comes back up. God, we, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you have always been good to us. We thank you that, God, even when we try to be king of our own lives and when we try to make things happen for ourselves and we forget that you are faithful. We forget that you're the provider. But God, you still remain faithful. The times when we think maybe your love, you're going to withdraw your love if we're not good enough, but God, you come through again with your unending love. We thank you for that. And I pray this morning that we could become a community that's being transformed by your goodness and that we declare your kingship in everything we do. And God, even as we take an offering this morning, as we take the offering, we declare that you are king and we are not. We declare that all of this is yours. We declare that you are in control and nothing is out of your control. And we ask that you'd help us to have the courage to be changed, to be people like you. So we thank you, God, and we give you this, the rest of this morning. We turn our hearts over to you We pray, God, that you teach us to trust, to trust in your goodness.